Osborne. Thanks for listening. Have you ever heard that men are more visual than women? I've heard so many stupid things. <laughs> and um, I guess like if something is stupid or not is really up to your own discernment and kind of your own capacity to take in information. But one thing that's bothering me right now is the statement that men are more visual. And I know this is very binary and when we're talking about men, we're talking about Mustard Shane. <laughs> Mustard Shane. We're talking about him. We're talking about mustard stains on a jersey, you know, like stretched out elastic band on the underwear, like yelling at a television sports game. Man witch men, you know? And um, I I find it hard to believe <laughs> that someone who literally can roll out of bed put on the same jeans they've worn for the last three days and um just whatever shirt and leave without looking in the mirror is more visual than the archetypal um woman you know, again, we're talking about binaries, and I'm like, where does this turn of phrase come from, you know, and it's bizarro, because I'm like, dude, when we're talking about these polarizing archetypes, you know, um, of the man, the man, they can't tell the difference between, um, lime green and chartreuse or you know the man that um doesn't understand why you would have throw pillows or um goes to a museum and farts off statements like my three-year-old niece could paint this you know you're like that guy that guy is more visual where am I going with this so when um, we're thinking about the opposite, like he's more visual, so he needs to find someone who's visually stimulating. And I'm like, well, it seems like his visual stimuli bar is set pretty damn low. What does that mean? Oh, um, the woman that gets up early to spend an hour and a half airbrushing her face on after she's taken a shower and applied four different body creams and then gets into a perfectly tailored dress to go to her office job in uncomfortable pumps oh she's less visual interesting where do these where do these ideas come from and are these um minions of the patriarchy hmm i don't know you know i'm half man on my father's side and i find that I, I mean, I feel like a pretty natural human in so many ways. I mean, I'm a disgusting beast as well as um, a fairly aesthetically interested human. But I find where my attraction goes, it doesn't always have to do with aesthetics. Because I think aesthetics, though they say a lot, they're 
they're only really one piece of the puzzle. They're sort of the, um, they're the gate into what's beyond, if you will. So in the judgment card in tarot, I always like to talk about it like, um, the gate to the garden of Eden or the gates to the gate of heaven and St. Peter has a horrifying face and depending on your reaction to him um, will grant you entry or just make you lost around the perimeter. And um, if you bear with me, I'll unpack that a little. So judgment, it's for some reason to me one of the more paradoxical cards in tarot. And, um, it can, as all the cards, um, can be, it can be like a word in a sentence and depending on the context of the sentence, it can say very different things. Um, so when you put it next to other cards, it might mean, you know, like, I'm yawning, go ahead and judge me. So judgment inverted, let's say next to, um, justice inverted could mean, um, something in, as far as a legal experience, um, the favor or, um, displeasure of a outcome to a lawsuit or something of that nature. And it could mean, uh, discernment for what kind of person or, you know, it's usually like, it's, it's like, okay, what are we really looking at? And what do, are we going to ditch it? Or are we going to go forward with it? Um, and I think that again, that's, that's maybe oversimplifying because judgment could be the next stop could be something like five of swords, you know, <laughs> where it's, your judgment makes you stand up for yourself and there's conflict and there's, there's several, it's, there's several applications of this, but I'd like to just meditate it as a single, um, diorama. <laughs> so judgment card is, um, usually drawn in the tradition that I follow with the angel Gabriel above honking his horn, popping out of the clouds, and um, people coming out of their graves. So it looks like a, a man, a child, and a woman rising from the grave. Their skin looks gray, as if maybe they've been dead for a while. And um, ahead of them, past their graves, um, the land becomes a shore, and an, and a lake, or possibly a river, or maybe even an ocean. And on the other side, you see other people rising from their graves, and sort of a mountainscape. What does it all mean? Um, so, of course, there's really heavy biblical connotations there. In-game, you know... The horns will blow and um, people rise from their graves and um, 
of course, when you ever see, whenever you see um, mountains, you see you think of achievement and bodies of water as emotional and subconscious um, uh, narratives. And the resurrection, of course, is so much about redemption. And I think when we when we think of Judgment Day, we think of um, making an account for all of our actions and. It depends on where we are at in our life when we think about just the the thought game of imagining being at the gates of heaven and and someone saying, well, why do you think you should get in? But, you know, the odds are what we're really thinking of is all the reasons why we shouldn't be there, all the things that we've done wrong, all the reasons why we're inadequate and uh, unfavorable, and... Um, when I see the judgment card, it calls to me the need to clean my soul out. And it doesn't necessarily mean, um, it doesn't always mean to me changing behavior or trying to be someone else. But a lot of time it means to reflect on the things that I feel, that I feel uneasy about for the benefit of my soul to transcend this life. Um, I'm, I'm in my thirties and, um, I have another friend who says that they have this experience and maybe it's cause I'm single, but I'll get back to that. I'll like wake up in the middle of the night and this doom feeling is on me. Like I remember, Oh no, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I know it's not right now, but I'm going to die. And everything I do will be some kind of measure of either my death shakes or an integral gesture to part with a world that I will always be united because I am the stuff of this world. And I get to decide how that goes. So... Moving one further, talking about something like biblical connotations of the judgment card in tarot, and how that is um, in itself a huge room for a controversy, and judgment card always reminds me of controversy too. It's like the Rorschach test, like what is going on with you really? And ultimately, it's the big-ass mirror in the face. Like, what are you really up to, you know? So, there's some videos I've seen on the internet of people who, I mean, are doing reaction videos, basically. And, sorry, I keep yawning. Um, and when I mean basically, I mean that's what they're doing. And also, this is just a little side. Have you have you ever heard that if you yawn in front of a sociopath and they don't yawn back, then um, that's how you know that they are a sociopath? I don't know. It's not a scientific test. It's just theoretical. So maybe all my yawning is for you, my audience, um, to test your own psyche. Also, I heard this little quote from... Alfred Hitchcock today, which was um, the television and the gun 
have a lot in common. And um, <laughs> the next part is it's better, it's, it's more comfortable on one side of it than the other. And um, I know that he was talking about television, but I think that's true for all media. As someone who is creating content, I really do feel at the mercy of the <laughs> amorphous black hole that is an infinite audience of potential minds that are hearing me and um, discerning what is good and weird and bad and bad and good and good and strange and undesirable and desirable about me all at once. I think it's a trip, you know? I think that's why um, we're in such a state that so many people are on social media and so many people are sharing pictures of their lattes or whatever. It, they want to feel that strange amorphous ethereal drug that is the eyes on them the wave of both good and bad and all in between energies um pulsating back at them from the ether you know i think um it's a trip it doesn't feel totally good it doesn't feel totally bad but it does feel like a kind of a psychedelic experience to the subconscious I imagine where was I um so imagining you have to take catalog of your entire life at any moment and when you see that judgment card come down it's like Gabriel just pops down honks the horn and it's like a game show where you're running around and then the buzzer hits and you have to stop and whatever you've done is all that you can show for yourself in that moment. There's no rewind, there's no redo, there's no snooze button. It's all laid out for you. So you have to keep going with it, as in transcend into the next realm. And so that transcendence goes into the world card, which is the next card on the progression of the tarot and the final card. But I think to me, thinking of the judgment card is almost a mirrored gate and um, gargoyles and um, scary images and being afraid of your own reflection. Um, those are all things that are um, the lessons of the psyche to overcome so that you're able to pass through the gate and eventually that these things bother you no more so you don't have to be caught up on the conceptual reality of um you know what is it is that you're looking at so again to christianity and these videos that i was watching um the uh, videos i'm watching are reaction videos by an atheist and um this particular person is an ex-mormon atheist he's very interesting i like the way he um, critiques things, it's polite, and he does have his own um, sort of hang-ups, and I think a lot of it has to do with his own experiences, for sure. And, of course, a lot of the people that he's doing reaction videos to are extremely obnoxious. Um, so, in some ways, they're kind of e easy targets. But I find it interesting 
because he will say things that to me sound as dogmatic as people as he would be criticizing. Um, for example, his insistence that God isn't real and um, that everything is made up and it's proven, it's proven. And I feel like there's so much overlooked in um, the poetry of symbolism. And I understand that for so many cultural reasons why it's a turnoff um, to think of something um, for its metaphorical content. And um, as, as someone who works heavily with symbols and metaphors, I think it starts to become a different language to me, you know, and um, reading through symbols um, has a completely different voice than reading as literal. And then, um, so that becomes an interesting aspect to me, just for what um, the content that, that originally was uh, created. And then there's um, the Americanized cult of um, misinterpreting um, things for their own favor. And I feel like sometimes when he's, this man, this atheist is reviewing these um, Christian women talking about um, how to be a good woman, I, I kind of feel like recently i really i've never really thought about it before but um it makes it seem like christianity is very like bdsm -y. i never ever thought about that but you know when they're talking about just like saving themselves and how like it just like the intensity of like the strict rules around sexual interaction and like how they have to listen to their husbands and you know how they have to do this for their husbands and their husbands are the boss and their husbands need sex whenever they need sex and you're like oh my god what does this remind me of and um you know they say about bdsm it's like sex for dorks because you need the rules you know um and I understand culturally how that's has been devastating for many people, but it also seems like, I mean, it's an, they're like, listen, don't get me wrong. They're totally obnoxious people, <laughs> but, um, I'm like, wow, don't kink shame. That's their thing, you know? And I feel like in, within every person, we get to a point where we have a level of discernment and what is actually right for us, and we find a way through. And um, though we all try to um, persuade those around us to engage in our own worldview, we always find a way through. And the persuasion of our worldview isn't always, um, you know, some insidious intent, but it's always coming from a space of... Um, even passive domination, you know, expanding our own minds. But we inherently know that our minds really, in so many ways, will always stop at the edge of our skull. Because no matter how iconic a human being can be or how many people they influence, there is no goddamn way that someone is not going to be an individual a suppressed individual is an individual. Their mind is always their own. 
the awakening to that has um has a bit of a formula to it you know understanding your power and what you do with that consciousness that's another story but whether or not you're turned on to it you will be your own entity you will be your own unique spark and um there's some it's so funny like just how much hypocrisy is in all of these um major platforms like for example when um republican people call um i don't know it's hipsters i don't know millennials gen x um not gen x i guess as much now but maybe gen z um snowflakes like oh you're all such special individual snowflakes but also um that same person will have the inherent value of total freedom and um how everyone should be as independent as possible and um be allowed to be the most unique person that they can be that that they will hold those values along with all of these opposing and obtuse critiques of um general gen, uh, general populaces so what am i talking about here I'm talking about when we, as Marge Simpson put it, as we point one finger, the rest of the fingers are pointing back at us, you know? Um, so exploring the opinions of others, and even if you're totally a simpleton, <laughs> just like cascading the waves of the words of people that you find charismatic... Um, you're still kind of choosing your alignments. And I've noticed that as we age, we start to develop our own sort of um, dogmatic relationship with the universe around us and our own sense of morality and how we make peace with our own deaths and time. And sometimes this could be, of course, driven from a place of fear or um, laziness, <laughs> But, I mean, even in when we think about Christianity, I mean, me as an American, when I think of Christianity, of course I think of, like, Midwestern Protestants, you know. And um, that's mostly pointing the fingers back at me. That's because my dad's family is that, you know. And like I said, I'm, like, I'm man, half man on my dad's side. So... Sorry, it's just such a stupid joke. I can't help myself. Um, but anyway, just thinking also about my special connotation with exactly my family of origin there and how that has influenced me and my feelings and thoughts around it, along with um, observing, because of my um, experience, observing... And having interest in getting to know more and more people's aversions or attractions to cultures like that and adjacent and cultures that are, um, you know, having similar religious um, hang-ups or, or, or scrutinies. Um, and, oh my God, I'm rambling. <laughs> Why am I, oh, hold on, why am I judging myself right now? I mean, 
your listening of your own will and everything I'm trying to offer is just fruit at the altar of the collective consciousness and I do so as a sort of prayer to the divine collective that we all are and and to open the cabinet of my heart and cleanse it for anyone's benefit because this carcass will fall away pretty soon um or i mean maybe i have 50 years let's say that and um even so you know my existence is finite so what's the point of criticizing myself if i'm rambling is it for duty is it for pride you know is it for um my compulsive amiability and being afraid that i'm being um uh, creepy or um, annoying or boring um i mean it's a rabbit hole so let's move on so the ultimate giveaway i would like to offer if ever someone wanted to have just the simplest meditation on a judgment card is um a little exercise i like called getting ready to go outside the way we make ourselves up and dress ourselves has a lot to do with i mean one the expression of self but also how we would like the world to see us in some ways so people who might be very anti-aesthetic they're like well i don't care what i wear definitely definitely care what they wear first of all i call bullshit on that i mean i can't even tell you how many people are like oh i'm just a lazy jane i'm gonna wear these old um birkenstocks and this oversized sweater that smells like weed i don't have an aesthetic preference i'm just this and you're like oh cool do you want to borrow this dress and they're like no that's not for me like okay clearly you you have preferences your outfit is not a goddamn accident i mean everything you're putting out there is exactly what you want to be seen as you want to be like um a somewhat low vibration sort of invisible chiller you know you want to be comfy you want everyone to know that you're not fussy or that you're down or whatever it is i mean you're trying to present that in your little outfit whereas i'm um trying to present that i'm extremely fussy and i don't want to deal with anything because i'm too fussy and also hi i'm friendly and i like fashion amongst other things possibly that i'm a creative or that i'm a witch and um you know there's there's different levels of the um subconscious and conscious signals we're putting out i don't believe that anyone is totally anti-aesthetic you know i don't know that that's possible and um sometimes when we're getting ready we're thinking to ourselves looking in the mirror oh like i don't want to wear this all look stupid i used to think this um a little bit more than i do now <laughs> i feel like i'm um i don't know i think i've shifted my confidence over the years into uh i'm in control of my life kind of vibe 
But when I was younger, I would, I would like, look, and I'm like, oh, my God, somebody's going to think I'm so weird, like, fugly. I don't know what I, you know, whatever I thought. I look crazy. And then um, I just decided one day, I'm like, who? Who thinks that? Who's going to look at me and think the bad thing that I am afraid they might think? Who is that person? What are they wearing? What do they eat for breakfast? Are they on good terms with their mother? What kind of grades did they get in grammar school? What are their interests? Like, how healthy are their bowel movements? I mean, like, who the fuck is this person that is just um, a cloud of anxiety that um, I'm trying to assign an actual person that um wouldn't align with the acceptance of me walking down the street um do i do do i fucking care um and and i would, i would think about that just a little bit you know i have quite the imagination so just like kind of imagine um the type of person that would really dog me and you know whatever whoever they were i would just be like you know they sound like another imperfect person and I clearly don't hate them but um because most of the time you know they're somebody I just made up in my head but um I mean they're fine like whatever reason they would diss on me the more I could imagine an actual person the more I realized I didn't need to worry about it and um that made my life much easier much freer and um it it comes down to for me part of my signals as a physical person is um to really to try to let my freak flag fly because i just feel like that's what my soul my soul stands for i want to give myself as big a playground as i can to be free in expression and um that has two parts of it one i'm um psychotically creative i like to make a lot of stuff and i don't like to be hindered or controlled so um being a silly goose you know um upon immediate visual contact is a signifier that i'm not interested in being controlled um so there's that and then um we come back into a space where we're also stepping into a definitive role I had a conversation with my dearest friend tonight at dinner and he was saying, um, well, I was talking about dating and how it can be awkward because I find that um, I don't have trouble talking to people, but oftentimes I have a defined role. So um, in my conversations, um, my... um, my uh tasks or whatever you want to say my my job of what i'm supposed to be doing is well defined and that gives me freedom to um to show up in my own way but i think having roles and interactions make us more comfortable and um in sometimes in dates um it could be uncomfortable because um, sometimes when you don't really know someone, um, but I'm saying dates plural, like I go on a bunch of dates, 
um, I went on one date with somebody I didn't know and I was like, well, you know, it's a little bit awkward because they don't, you don't know each other and the roles haven't really been defined. So you find there's just sort of like this bat sonar of like squawking out different sort of things and seeing what bounces off. So you can kind of figure out the parameters of like the exact shape of the kind of person you're talking to and the kind of roles that you start to step into in the conversation and in a, in a possible relationship with that person going out, um, going, going beyond one time meeting. Um, and my friend was saying, um, how Eckhart Tolle feels that, um, roles are an assignment of the ego because, um, when you're in your ego, you, um, don't take part in the oneness and there's actually no such thing as you or me. There's just everything. And, um, you know, like for example, if you are in your ego and you're talking to a gas station attendant, you might feel better than them because you're, you know, in your ego of being the customer. I don't know what his fucking point is. Um, (laughs) Eckhart Tolle, God bless him. He is all of us. We are all him. Great. But, I think that I am of the schoolhouse of, hell yeah, I think egos are important. And I also think that most people don't understand what ego means. Ego is originally a Freudian term. I am more of a union, if you've been listening, you might have noticed. But yeah, I'm, I'm into the concept of the ego as being a sort of manager of the psyche. And I think it's a very important... Um, aspect of the whole so I I just I mean there's such like this um absurd attraction to um like like I don't know um castrating ourselves from the ego and I don't think that that's that's healthy or necessary because um it's also possible to understand that we are all one as well as that you have to manage yourself and offer to the oneness in a way that is harmonious to the whole. And let me give you another example. Today, I was at a shop. I'm not going to say what shop, but I was there. And um, I heard this commotion outside. There's this, this yelling And I went outside and I saw this woman who, I saw this like um, envelope like full of something heavy like hit her in the head and then she was yelling and I couldn't really see it. And this this older woman, she wasn't that old, she was like late 40s maybe, Um, she had just been yelling and she looked scared and she was just kind of like leaning over for a minute and I could tell she was in shock. And so I walked outside, I offered her a cigarette, she said she didn't smoke, (laughs) this is like a police report, too much information, um, and as I'm standing next to her, I'm like, are you okay, like, what happened there? And she was like, oh, this guy, I've been letting him live with me, um, we just got in a really bad fight, he's been really abusive to me, and I'm like, I saw that you got hit in the head, She's like, it didn't draw blood, so it's okay. I'm like, I don't think that's what it need, where it needs to go for it to be not okay. Um, and I was talking to her for a while, and she's like, you know, I'm a, I try to be a good person. 
um, but I, it's really hard for me if somebody's being abusive to me, so it's hard, but I tried, you know, and I'm like, you know what, you don't even have to try, like, <laughs> you don't have to try to to be worthy of being here, and you don't have to override your sense of self or need to take care of yourself in this world to be a good person. And um, I've known in, in my life the many times that I was trying to be a good person and giving from an empty cup, and I just became five people's problem because I didn't have enough to offer myself, so I became someone else's burden. So, <coughs> so you see how that works, you know? It's not inherently wrong or selfish to take care of yourself or to be within your ego. Of course, when we staple on these like absurd attachments, like um, being in your ego and protecting yourself means that you're selfish and you think you're better than other people. Um, and um, I think that that's ludicrous. I don't think that's what it means. Um, and... Honestly, I feel like if, um, for whatever reason on our divine rat race, if somebody to look over and saw that post-it note stapled to my forehead, I think I'm better than you and I'm selfish, like, um, you know, from my actions or, um, my boundaries, I would say, go ahead and look at it and keep walking, like, fine, you know, this is the face for you to back off and good, you know? And it's not because, oh, fuck you. It's like the face is um, the way we represent ourselves is a part of the whole. <laughs> We're all bumbling around in the dark of the cosmos. And um, it's not wrong to see something and say something. <laughs> it's not wrong to see something that doesn't agree with you and go the other direction. And um, in my case, you know, if somebody were to judge me, um, unfairly, that's <laughs> so conceited, that's an unfair judgment, I mean, I don't, I don't care, because that's a part of their journey, and that's a signal they need to see to keep on trucking, and you know what, I'm probably better for it, they say rejection is protection, and sometimes, um, it's hard to come to terms with that, to not be someone that everyone adores, and, just gets along with everyone, but, I mean, think of one celebrity that you love that every single person is like, yeah, they're 100% great. I mean, there's probably, like, some little tiny exceptions to the rule, like, I don't know, Willie Nelson? He seemed to, like, really hit the G-spot of the collective consciousness. Um, oh my god, but poor Willie, R.I.P., he, um, I don't know if you guys are following, but yeah, he passed away recently. <sighs> he was playing on the road again. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, that's, um, that's a really stupid joke, but it's too easy, you know? You make it too easy for me. All right, well, with that, I think I'm probably pretty much done. And I want to say, um, if, if you could do a personal experiment this next week 
with the judgment card. It would be reflecting on confronting your fears of being seen. Um, if you want to, I mean, you can confront whatever the hell you want. It doesn't have to be that, but recognizing that you are as you are and what you are specifically is one beautiful, perfect, whole piece of an entire <laughs> amazing carousel um, pageant of all these other figures that have to be as they are. And it's not a brutal um, disservice to you if not everyone likes you, as it is not a disservice to humanity. And it's okay to be you. And um, it's okay to clean your heart out as you go, knowing that you're creating a unique tone of the human experience that can't ever be repeated and has never come before. So I want to send you so much love and thank you for engaging with this infinite party of, um, you know, c collective soul with me.